Every three minutes, a person in the U.S. is diagnosed with a blood cancer like leukemia, lymphoma, or myeloma, blood cancers that often require patients to endure difficult treatments that leave them feeling weak, cold, and isolated. Subaru of Gwinnett is here to help. Since 2016, Subaru has partnered with the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, a cause the fan has been proud to support for over 24 years. And in the month of June, through our Subaru Loves to Care initiative, we're continuing our partnership with LLS to give even more to patients and their families. Subaru, more than a car company. Visit SubaruofGwinnett.com to learn more. Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and top instructors share their stories, insights, and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by the French Lick Resort, the PGA Tour Superstore, TaylorMade Golf, the Bobby Jones Apparel Company, Two Under, Ben Hogan Golf, Golf Pride, Srixon and their Z-Star Golf Balls, and the Sandiston Resort. Now here is your host, Chris Mascaro. Good evening, folks, and welcome to this week's edition of Next on the Tee. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and as always, thank you so much for joining me again tonight. Well, folks, when I tell you I've been looking forward to this show for a while, I mean it with all sincerity. I mean, how often do you get to have your favorite all-time author, plus an LPGA Tour legend, and the CEO of the best apparel company on the planet, all on one show. Well, that's what I have for all of us tonight. My first guest is not only my favorite author, but he's also just one of the great people that I've been blessed to meet doing this show, and that's Keith Hirschland. A couple of years ago, our good friend Matthew Lawrence said, you know what, Chris, you need to have Keith on the show. Keith was the producer when the Golf Channel got started back in the mid-90s. He's got a lot of great stories. He's written a couple of outstanding books. And well, I was fortunate that um, Keith agreed to come on the show and just absolutely blew me away with what a great storyteller he is. Plus, he's just an unbelievably great guy. Tonight, I want to talk more about his books. He's got a new one coming out soon called Murphy Murphy, and uh, Matthew Lawrence just happens to be a character in that book, and I hope he's the done it and who done it this time around in Keith's book. So looking forward to talking about that and uh, a whole lot more when Keith joins me. He'll be along here in just a few minutes. Following him, I'm going to get a visit from LPGA legend Jane Geddes. Jane helped Florida State win a national championship back in 1981. She won two majors on the LPGA Tour at the 1986 Women's U.S. Open and the 97 LPGA Championship. So really want to delve into all of those things, her time at Florida State and what it was like. Because as I was doing the research, folks, she started playing the game at 16. And then she's at Florida State winning a national championship. But just a couple of years later, absolutely amazing. So I want to talk about that plus her two majors and what she's got going on now. She plays out on the LPGA Legends Tour, so want to talk about those great events as well. So really looking forward to having Jane with me. She'll join me a little bit later on in this half hour. Then we'll round out tonight's show with a return visit from the CEO of the Bobby Jones Apparel Company, Andy Bell. We'll hear what's new this fall with all three of the, of the Bobby Jones brands because there's Bobby Jones, there's Rule 18, and then there's Sun Ice. And Sun Ice is a fantastic outerwear company. So for us to stay, you know, nice and warm this winter, for those of us that like to get out and play, even when there's a frost delay. So we'll talk about Sun Ice and uh, all the great things going on with the Bobby Jones brand and Rule 18 as well. Really looking forward to having Andy back on the show. He'll join me about 45 minutes from now. So there you have it, folks. More great stories and information coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the T. And like I say, thank you so much for tuning in and taking a journey with me tonight. So you all know I like to kick off the show really by talking about the Lawrence brothers and how much they mean to me. You know how great their golf shows are. 
So please make sure to tell all of your, all of your friends and continue to support both of them. Mitch's show is called Talking Golf Getaways, and you can stream it online at golftripx.com. It's also available on Audio Boom, Stitcher, and Player.fm. He and his co-host, Darren Bunch, they take us around the U.S. and Canada, some of the great places that you can uh, go stay and play at. They also let you know about some of the hidden gem courses that you may not be aware of. Mackinac Island up in Michigan is one of the great recent episodes that they did, and I'll tell you what, I checked it out online. It looks absolutely spectacular. Dying to get up there to check that place out. So go online and listen to their podcast. Again, it's called Talking Golf Getaways, and you can find it online at golftripx.com, and that's the letter X, so golftripx.com. Matthew's show is called Backspin Golf, and it airs Sunday mornings from 8 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time on WLXG ESPN Radio AM 1300 up in Lexington, Kentucky. You can stream it online by going to WLXG.com or do what I did, which is download the WLXG app, and you can listen right there on your smartphone. Matthew's fantastic. The show is so much fun, and there's a lot of great golfing content in, in the show as well. The first segment with his partner, Perry French, who, you know, is a friend of this show. He's been on a couple of times. He'll join me again in a couple of weeks. Perry from Strixon, Cleveland Golf, Zexio Golf, some of the best week-in and week-out golf instruction that you're going to hear anywhere. Both Matthew and Perry, they're uh, they're just great people, and they do a great show, and that, that first segment is absolutely outstanding. Check it out online by going to WLXG.com or download the WLXG app and take a listen every Sunday morning. And, folks, as you know, we are sponsored by the French Lick Resort. Take a listen to our good friend Steve Rondonero. He's going to let you know what's going on up there. It's a Pete Dye masterpiece, the Pete Dye course at French Lick Resort. Pete says its location on one of the highest points in Indiana makes it special. The long views, you can see many 20, 30 miles from many of the fairways and many of the tees and greens. And, and you can see a 360 degrees. Donald Ross's hill course put French Lick on the golf map more than 100 years ago. It's where Walter Hagen won the 1924 PGA Championship and the place where today's Symmetra Tour ladies battle each year. It's the ambience around it that makes the golf course. Combine our many resort amenities with legendary golf and you have a getaway like no other. French Lick Resort is the home of the Senior LPGA Championship, won in 2018 by World Golf Hall of Famer Laura Davies. Play the course's champions play. Plan your trip now, online at FrenchLick.com. Yeah, folks, go online to FrenchLick.com to see for yourself what a wonderful place they have up there, and you'll be able to book your stay right there online as well. And well, folks, TaylorMade Golf has done it again. The TaylorMade M5 and M6 drivers are both a tremendous story. They both feature speed-injected twist face, created through a revolutionary manufacturing process where every single head, and you hear me say this every single week on the show, yes, every single head is injected and calibrated to the threshold of the legal limit. So basically, every head is made to be tour spicy, so speed for all of us. Check it out online by going to TaylorMadeGolf.com. And to play a ball with ultimate spin and stopping power, you need a physics-defying cover. With molecular bonds that stretch but don't break, to play a ball that goes far and feels soft, you need a fast-layer core with incredible feel and maximum distance. And that's exactly what you get in the new Z-Star and Z-Star XV golf ball. And they're only from Strixon. Please also check out our friends at the Bobby Jones Apparel Company by going online to bobbyjones.com. we got their CEO, Andy Belk, ready to join us a little bit later on tonight. They've got their new fall collection out right now, and you're going to see Steve Stricker, Miguel Angel Jimenez, and Ernie Els wearing it out on the Champions Tour. Check it out for yourself by going online to bobbyjones.com. 
and enter the coupon code next on the T, and you're going to get 10% off at checkout. Now back, and I'm honored to say for a seventh time with me here on Next on the T is my all-time favorite author and one of my all-time favorite individuals, Keith Hirschland. Keith has become a wonderful friend over the last few years. He's an Emmy Award-winning TV producer. He's produced shows for ESPN, ESPN2, and the Golf Channel. Keith was among the original people that started the Golf Channel back in 1995. He's written three wonderful books. The first is my all-time favorite book, and that is Cover Me, Boys, I'm Going In, Tales of the Two from a Broadcast Brat. It's a fantastic read, folks. I can't recommend it highly enough. He's got two other great books as well called Big Flies and The Flower Girl Murder. He's got a fourth one coming out, I hope soon, Murphy, Murphy. I'm dying to read that book, and it happens, like I said at the top of the show, one of the characters in the book is uh, is our good friend Matthew Lawrence. Keith's lovely wife, Sarah, is the CEO of the U.S. Olympic Committee. They've been traveling all over the world this year supporting our national teams, and I'm very excited to have Keith back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Keith, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great, Chris. You know, I'm always excited when I get a message that says that uh, you 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 want some uh, some retired old TV TV guy to come and join you on your show. So uh, it's always a thrill. <laughs> and I hadn't realized we've been together. This will be the seventh time. They they go by yeah, how about so that? quickly, and you do. I know you do such a great job, and it's always so fun talking to you that I always feel like it's just sitting down and chatting with an old friend. So uh, I appreciate you very much, and your support is always. Uh, is always over the top and much appreciated. And, um, you know, we gotta, we gotta be in this thing together. And, uh, I, you know, I love Mitch and Matthew and I'm thrilled that you have Jane Gettys on the show tonight because, you know, when I first started with ESPN doing their golf, she was winning golf tournaments. And, and when I moved over to the golf channel, um, she was actually in a playoff, I believe with Kari Webb in 1996, um, at a tournament in Orlando. And it was, if I remember correctly, the first the first uh, win for Kari on U.S. soil, I think she had won the Women's British. She was a 22-year-old kid at the time and, you know, just a superstar in the making. And um, she won the Health South inaugural in Orlando on our air. And uh, I remember Jane being in a playoff with her for, for three or four holes. So maybe maybe Jane will tell you, tell you a story or two about competing with, with the greats of the game. I mean, she was a – she's a – a heck of a player. She was a lot of fun to be around too. So I'm looking forward to to listening to your conversation with Jane. Well, I can't thank you enough for setting that up. I mean, it, we wouldn't be having that conversation later tonight if it wasn't for you. So I appreciate your your continued support, Keith, and uh, for uh, not only for setting up uh, this conversation with Jane, but just sort of the way you've been over the last few years. You're outstanding, and I can't thank you enough for all of that. Well, it's my pleasure, and something tells me you and Jane would have connected at some point with or without my help, so uh, I'm, I'm happy to help, always. <laughs> I appreciate you. So, Keith, like I said at the top of the show, you, you've already got three great books, and you've teased Murphy Murphy a couple of times uh, when you've been on recently, so talk about where you're at with that book and uh, when we're all going to be able to get our hands on a copy of it. Yeah, I wish I knew. I was, uh, you know, I've, I've been champing at the bit because... Uh, uh, I sent the, the draft to the publishers um, a few months ago and was kind of, uh, you know, just <clears throat> biding my time waiting for them to get back to me and sent out a couple of emails and got no response and thought, oh, gosh, I'm being this pesky author, you know, that they've got, you know, hundreds of authors in their stable and I'm, the you know, one of the one of the new people on the totem pole and here I am pestering them and Finally, I got an email back from uh, my contact there, a great guy named Bobby Collins, and 
he said, you know, sorry, it's taken so long. You know, we really want to cover me boys to get some, get some more traction before we started to release a new book from you because they had, as I think I told you, they had re-released, they'd signed me up and re-released cover me boys in February of this year. So they didn't want to rush out another, another book by me or another title by me so quickly. Anyway, um, he said, here's the first draft. So I got a, a, a look at their first first um, draft of edits and went and made a couple of new ones on my own and sent them back to them. And they responded right away saying, thank you. You know, we'll take a look at these. And oh, by the way, um, you know, do you have any ideas for cover art? So um, I gave them a couple of thoughts that I had had about cover art for the book. And he thanked me again and said they'd get right to work on it. And that was, that was a couple of weeks ago. So I'm hoping in the next, next, you know, two or three weeks, I'll get something back and uh, we can start telling folks how they can pre-order or order Murphy Murphy in the case of serious crisis. So it's getting to be an exciting time. I'm, I'm really excited about uh, the rollout because I'm expecting our friend Matthew to buy a, at least a dozen books and give them out to family <laughs> and friends. So. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, I can't wait to read it. And, and like I say, uh, I hope he is the done it and who done it. So I'm looking forward to seeing what his character well, is like. In I'm the not going to give away any secrets, but uh, he might be. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to read it. And, and Keith, as you as you just mentioned, you know, Cover Me Boys and, and the re-release and, and all of that. For, for the listeners who haven't, joined us the last uh, several times that you've been on the show and, and they're uh, going, Oh, what is this cover me boys? Let everybody know what that book's all about. Well, thanks Chris. It's, it's uh it's a memoir of my uh, nearly 40 years in, in the broadcast television industry. Um, uh, full title is cover me boys. I'm going in tales of the tube from a broadcast brat. And it really, it, it starts out as an homage to my parents. My folks were uh, local broadcast pioneers in the northern Nevada area, Reno, Nevada. They started a television station there. And so I kind of grew up, um, you know, as a, as a little kid running around the halls of the station and and trying to to glean as much much knowledge and, and to see how my folks, you know, started a business and kept it going and um, just hired and recruited you know, some of the most talented people in the world to help help them run this TV station. And when they passed away, um, Sarah and I were, you know, over on Maui where they lived going through all their belongings. And we came across a box that had a, a bunch of memorabilia in it, uh, you know, some awards that my dad had won and some commendations and letters from presidents and senators and, you know, some some memorabilia from my dad's time in the Navy. And and Sarah, who hadn't gotten to know them, sadly, very well, um, said, you know, don't let this be your kids looking in a box when you're gone and saying, my gosh, we had no idea that, you know, dad helped start ESPN2 and was one of the first 40 people hired at the Golf Channel and won an Emmy and knew Tiger Woods and had traveled around the world producing golf and, you know, had this this amazing career. And so she said, start you know, writing some stories down in, in journal form just to let these, you know, so the kids would have, you know, some idea of what, what we did in our life. And that somehow turned into a book. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's about 450 pages of stories about TV and stories about golf and 
a lot of stories about golf TV that I think that uh, a lot of your listeners might be, you know, might have some fun with. So, Keith, let's let's switch gears a little bit. You, know, you talk about television, and the thing that uh, that's excited me about you, on, on top of the books over the last several months, is I'm starting to see you get involved a little bit more on the TV side. We, we you know we saw you, you know, earlier this year with the with the guys on TNT, you know, back with the PGA Championship, you know, and and it just sort of wets my whistle and and hope that you know, a great talent like you might start doing a little bit more here and there and even start to tie in like with your wife, Sarah. And for those who don't know, Sarah's the CEO of the, uh, of the U S Olympic committee. So as we see golf in the Olympics coming up in 2020, you starting to do a little bit more. Could that expand more and have you doing something with golf in the Olympics or other things as we look ahead to the 2020 golf season? Well, you're nice. You're nice. You're nice to think those kind of thoughts. Um, I, you know, I, I dabble here and there uh i was fortunate enough to um to have worked with actually been a part of the hiring process uh when golf channel hired brian anderson um he was doing he 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 had kind of grown up in texas playing baseball and was uh moved into the broadcasting arena and was doing play-by-play for a minor league team in texas and was also uh doing some sideline reporting for the San Antonio Spurs. And when we were looking for a golf play-by-play announcer, he sent in his, sent in his tape. And, um, you know, we thought this, this kid had a tremendous amount of potential. Anyway, we hired him on the spot, basically. And uh, he turned out to be a great broadcaster uh, for Golf Channel for a handful of years before he got his dream job of working for a major league baseball team and has been the the voice of the Milwaukee Brewers since he left the Golf Channel, as well as now he does uh, NBA on TNT. He does uh, a lot of the NCAA tournament stuff for Turner. So um, when Turner got the call to do the last, you know, they had obviously had the rights to do uh, earlier on coverage of the PGA Championship for years. But because of the schedule change, um, they were still in NBA playoff mode. And Ernie Johnson, who had done their golf, was also doing their NBA telecast, and he he chose the NBA over over golf, which meant Brian was going to be doing the early round coverage of the PGA Championship. So he was nice enough to call me and say, "Listen, I'm going to be doing the PGA Championship, and I'd really love you by my side, and you know, to feed me nuggets in my ear and give me direction and help me out a little bit." And, um, I I couldn't resist, so I said yes, but. Uh, I don't think that portends a, a return to the truck for me, even though in addition to that, I do a handful of things for friends over the course of the summer. If there's a, you know, a little golf show that they would like some help on, I'm always happy to, to lend my hand and lend my expertise, but um, I'm not sure you'll find me back in a truck again, Chris. No, I'm disappointed to hear that. I thought, <laughs> I thought, what a, what a perfect time to have you back in the, in, in the booth is, you know, when, uh, when golf returns to the Olympics next summer, yeah. seems like a perfect yeah. well, tie. You know, but so. you know, those guys, Tommy, Tommy and those guys at NBC and golf channel do it. You know, Tommy does a great job. Um, you know, he's, I have a huge amount of respect for him as you know, you and I have talked about him and Lance and, yeah. and the folks that do golf on, on network television a number of times. And, and, you know, I have it, I have a huge amount of respect for, for those guys and, and they do a great job and 
uh, you know, golf is hard. Golf, producing golf on television is a, it's the hardest, it's the hardest sport to produce on television by leaps and bounds, which again, you and I have talked about just because there are so many balls in the air, literally. I mean, you know, it's not, it's not one ball. It's not one field of play. It's not one offense. It's not one defense. It's, you know, it's, it's a hundred guys out on the golf course on 18 fields of play and everybody's playing offense. Nobody's playing defense and they never take a TV timeout. So it's a really difficult um, <laughs> job to do. And the guys that do it for a living on those networks, uh, I have a huge amount of respect for. Keith, I want to get your thoughts because you have been involved in televising golf tournaments, you know, for so many years. And, and, and one of the things that we've been talking about on the show over the last several weeks has been around the, the PGA Tours wraparound season now, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, everything got got shifted around uh, from a major's perspective and from the regular golf schedule because they wanted to get done before college football and the NFL started up. But then we've got this wraparound season where there's tournaments going on, right? There's another one this weekend. There was been a couple last few weeks, right? And, And I don't understand. It doesn't make sense to me that they're playing more golf that nobody's watching that, um, and the, and the pretense, you know, for changing the schedule around was to get done before football. Yet they've added all of these tournaments, you know, through the fall. Um, your thoughts, how, how do you feel about the wraparound season? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of it for the, for those reasons that you, you know, that you've already talked about. And I think a lot of it is I, I, you know, I don't, I didn't like, I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about the, you know, kind of the accelerated majors season. And I ended up, um, you know, kind of where I was on the fence before leaning more toward the, I'm not a fan of it as opposed to that. I am a fan of it because I feel like, and you even heard players talk about it. There, there was just, there wasn't any time in, it felt like there wasn't enough time in between the majors this year um, to really get like fired up about the next one coming up. And the fact that tiger didn't play at all between the masters and the PGA championship was kind of evidence of that. Justin Rose, I know, made some comments about how he didn't think it was, you know, conducive to the best performances for the for the guys to 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 have such a condensed schedule. Um, so I wasn't a huge fan of that. And then I really think, and I don't know how you feel about this, but I really think they missed they they've lost or let go of one of their one of their big opportunities, which was golf on Monday of Labor Day weekend. There was always a big event. It was a playoff event on the Monday of Labor Day weekend that, you know, there's not, there wasn't a whole lot else going on. And I didn't think that, you know, that having the season extend to, you know, Labor Day weekend and the Monday finish on Labor Day weekend was ever a bad thing, even though it spilled out over into, you know, college football season. And um, I think they, I, you know, I think they may have, uh, been too quick to pull the trigger on let's be done completely you know before football starts um, without thinking that at least that event and that weekend all the way through and as it turned out the corn Ferry tour played their finals event on that weekend and it got a lot of buzz i noticed a lot of people were talking about the fact that it was the only golf on labor day weekend and it was really exciting and really thrilling i just always felt like the tour had this great kind of rhythm to it throughout the year there were the main you know there were big events there were the majors you know the pga championship 
happened at, you know, in, in mid to, to, you know, two thirds of the way through August. And then there were a couple of fall series events to help out the guys that, you know, maybe struggled a little bit or, or were trying to get their cards. And then it kind of all came to a crescendo with what I always felt like was the greatest tournament of all, which was the PGA Tour qualifying tournament, because that held the most drama. And that was played the first week of December. And, you know, everybody got there, you know, all excited about, you know, who's going to keep their card, who's going to get their card, who's going to, you know, who's going to fail, who's going to make it, who isn't going to make it. It was high drama, um, a lot of tension. And then, you know, I mean, economics made that, you know, unfeasible, I guess, for the tour. And then everything just kind of shifted. And, and for me as a, and, you know, call me old fashioned or call me the, the you know, the, the get off my lawn guy, but you know, I kind of liked it the way it was and I'm going to, it's going to take some getting used to for me with this new schedule. And, and right now, like I told you right now, I would say I'm a guy that's kind of not, I don't watch as much golf as I used to. I'll put it that way. And this is coming from a guy that used to watch everything. So. And to your point, Keith, about accelerated majors, right? I think, and you mentioned this a moment ago. What we lost in the accelerated majors was Tiger Woods, right? I mean, it seemed like he, he won the Masters, and from the from the minute after he won the Masters, he looked like a guy that his body was breaking down. I mean, I remember seeing the the party that you know I, I think it was Taylor made through for him a couple of days later, and he could barely sort of walk in there. He was you know kind of beaten yeah. up and sore, and and then. We didn't see much of him, really, the whole rest of the golf season. A couple of appearances here and there, but you know, nothing really to speak of. And and I don't know if if a you know what will be what a forty three year old body, forty four year old body next year on the PGA Tour, if that's going to get any better. So does I, I feel like maybe this is sort of working against what everybody is hoping for, right? Everyone got excited about the Tiger win, and we thought, all right, now there might be a second or a third. I know our good friend Matthew. Right. Lawrence was talking about how he was going to win at Pebble Beach right, because of his history there. But it almost feels yeah. like maybe this is going to give us less Tiger, not more Tiger. I don't know. What do you think? I, I You know, I'm not sure. I, I think that's definitely a possibility. I think that I think more and and I, I want to wait and see what happens next year before I before, so you have to promise to have me on a year from now. But um, before we <laughs> see kind of a, a true a true sense of what Tiger's what Tiger's major's state of mind is going to be. I think that I honestly kind of buy into the the folks and the theory the folks that say the theory that you know that Masters win was such a huge huge accomplishment for him that there was a real hangover for that that lasted you know that lasted clearly you know a month because he played so poorly at the PGA championship, but it may have been a hangover that lasted longer than that. Um, but the fact that there was this accelerated majors schedule put the spotlight on it so much more brightly. And I, I, I agree with Matthew. I was one of those guys that thought he would perform well, contend, if not win at Pebble beach. And he was a non non-factor. And then, you know, at the, at the British open, you know, he, it, it just, it just, it seemed like, once he won that Masters and got that, you know, 15th major, he was done. He was done for the year. Uh, you know, it was like, 
I, I accomplished, he accomplished something that so many people, and maybe in the back of his mind, he felt like maybe he'd never, never accomplish again. Um, and that kind of, I think it, it affected him throughout the course of the entire rest of the year. So that's why I want to see what happens this coming up, um, majors season to see if he kind of, uh, handles that more on an even keeled, uh, temperament basis and see if he can, you know, I have no doubt that the man will contend, if not win masters for the next 10 years and contend in, if not win British opens for the next 10 years, because that kind of golf and those courses set up for people to be able to do that. Um, Tom Watson almost winning at 69 was a perfect, or, you know, was a perfect example. So, um, I, he's not done yet. I just would like to see what happens if he's feeling good and, and getting the good end of a, you know, the, the early late window draw and the weather draw at certain tournaments and, and to finally now know that he can win another major. So maybe he won't, it won't have such a, a drastic effect on his body like the, the win at the Masters had on him. Keith, before I let you go, remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with all the great things you continue to do. Find your books, buy your books, and then uh, follow you on social media as well. Well, you're nice. You're nice enough to give me a chance to give that plug. I am, uh, the website is keithhirschland.com, K-E-I-T-H-H-I-R-S-H-L-A-N-D.com. Uh, you can find my books there at, and at Amazon and at Barnes and Noble. And I have a blog that's called Cover Me Boys, uh, through WordPress. And then on social media, uh, I'm back on Twitter, uh, much to the dismay of my wife, but that's at KHH author, <laughs> which is also where you can find me at Instagram. So well, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of dip, dipping my toe back in that Twitter that, you know, you know, you know, Twitter, Chris, it's, it can yep. be a, it can be a swamp at times. So, um, Indeed. but I'm just pushing the books. I'm just pushing the books and giving, you know, a, a, a a comment or a compliment here and there. That's that's my new mission on, on social media. Well, Keith, I can't thank you enough for coming back for a seventh time and being a part of the show. There's there's so many other things I want to get into with you. I hope you'll come back and join me again real soon. Like you say, it's, uh, every moment that I get or every uh, amount of time I get to spend with you flies by. It's never long enough, so I hope you'll come back real soon. I am always at your disposal, my friend, whenever you need me. I appreciate you, Keith. Take care. All the best to you and Sarah and your new grandbaby. Congratulations on the new grandbaby. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. See you, Keith. That's the great Keith Hirschland. And I'm telling you, folks, you got to go read his books because they're absolutely spectacular. Cover me, boys. I'm going in. I said it you know, a, a million times, and I'll say it a million more. My favorite book of all time. And, l- and let me preface that by saying, and you can ask my wife this question, I'm not a reader. I'm not. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm, you know, I'm a USA Today sniglet. Give me a little bit. And if I'm interested, I'll read a little bit more. But I, you know, as Keith talked about, it's over 400 pages. You, I haven't read 400 pages since I was in high school. But I picked up that book because Matthew said, this book is great. You need to read it. And I picked it up and I started to read it. And before I knew it, I was on page 300. And then before I, you know, blinked two more times, I was done. I mean, that's how great this book is. So when I tell you it's a fantastic book and coming from a non-reader, I'm telling you he's a great author. And then you read Big Flies and and I can't wait for Murphy. Murphy, God knows. I'm chomping at the bit to get that book to see what that's all about and then uh, see how uh, the Matthew Lawrence character, what he does. 
in that book. But Keith's fantastic. And uh, on top of that, you know, like I say, you, you go back to his time at the Golf Channel and ESPN2 and all the great stories that he has from his time, you know, producing those, producing and directing those, uh, those golf tournaments. And then, um, like I say, on top of all of that, he's a 10 times better person than he is an author and a producer. And he's an Emmy award winning producer. And he's, and he's a, a best selling author. That tells you everything you need to know about Keith Urshland. I look forward to having Keith back on the show again real soon. All right. Before I get to my next guest, Jane Geddes, I want to remind you about our friends over at the Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company. Now, folks, if you haven't hit Ben Hogan Irons since maybe the 80s or the 90s, do yourself a favor. They've got a demo iron program. You can go right on their website, BenHoganGolf.com. You can order a demo from what, you know, whatever one of their, their uh, lines of irons you want. Fort Worth, PTX, new PTX Pro or Edge Iron. They're going to send you a demo iron, and you go out on the range and compare it to whatever it is you've got, right? So their irons and everything that they make is absolutely spectacular. Irons and wedges handcrafted one at a time in their Fort Worth, uh, Texas factory. So they've got no mass production. There's no shortcuts going on. You can now order custom-made irons, wedges, and hybrids by going online to their site. Again, BenHoganGolf.com, and they're going to build those clubs to your specifications. And best of all, they're going to charge you a fraction of the typical retail price. So go online, check out their complete line of forged irons and wedges, their utility irons, their hybrids, their bag, their accessories, their new GS53 uh, driver and fairway woods, which are absolutely outstanding as well. And go online and get yourself one and, and check it out and compare it to what you got. I'm telling you, you're going to love it. BenHoganGolf.com. All right, now joining me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is LPGA legend Jane Geddes. Jane is from Somerville, South Carolina, played her college golf at Florida State, helped them win the 1981 National Championship. She was inducted into their Hall of Fame back in 1988. She joined the LPGA Tour in 83. She got her first career victory at a major at the 86 Women's U.S. Open. She backed it up with a win the very next week at the Boston Five Classic, becoming one of only four players in LPGA history to do that win back-to-back weeks following the U.S. Open. She won the 1987 LPGA Championship. So you, you look at that, back-to-back weeks again at the Women's Kemper Open. Um, uh, unbelievable that these two back-to-back wins happen. In all, she won 11 times, 52 top 10 finishes as well. She's out there on the LPGA Legends Tour now. She's working with the LPGA and the amateurs there. It's The list goes on and on, folks. She's an amazing woman, and I'm absolutely thrilled she's with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Good evening, Jane. Thank you for joining me. Uh, wow. Thank you, Chris. I'm I'm thrilled to be here, and I, and I um, thank you for that really, really nice introduction. I, it, some of it seems like another lifetime, but I, I truly appreciate it. <clears throat> <laughs> I appreciate you. So, Jane, so like I say, there's so many amazing things about you and your career. I, but I tell you what, the first thing that struck me was I was kind of doing the research in, into your background. I read that you didn't start playing golf until you were 16. And then a couple of years later, you're, you're on a national championship team at Florida State. Is that accurate? That's accurate. It's a little crazy. You know, I'm, um, I, I had a, uh, a sort of a fast track into the game. And um, I, I grew up on Long Island. And none of my family played golf, and and uh, my dad got transferred down to South Carolina, outside of Charleston and Somerville, and uh, I, I was I was a little bit miserable being there. I was, you know, 15 years old. I, I I'd only known Long Island. I had a very Long Island accent, and I get thrown into you know um, the the kind of deep south. Um, 
And so it was a bit of a culture shock for me. And my parents were trying to figure out what are they going to do with me? I, you know, I played every sport and I was, I was athletic and, and I, and I, you know, loved to play softball and volleyball and all different kinds of things. And uh, my mom read an article in the uh, Charleston um, Postman Courier about Beth Daniel and her teacher, Derek Hardy. Beth had just won her second U.S. amateur at that time. And there was an article about them. And my mom said to me, do you want to maybe, like, play golf? And I was like, no, I hate golf. I have no, like, what? And so very, very long story short, my mom did not listen to me, um, set up a lesson with Derek. And um, kind of the rest is history. And so it was, it was you know, the right time, the right place the right teacher. Um, and basically Derek said to my mom, um, if you bring Jane back to see me, um, you know, I won't charge you and I'll, and I'll teach her. And that, that was one of those things, you know, it's kind of that moment in time um, that, you, you know, I, I believe as I look at my life and I, and I look at, you know, how my life has sort of transformed all the ways I, I, you know, I tend to believe in fate. And that was one of those, times that um, Derek came in my life at the right time. And so I, you know, I only knew I never swung golf club, glove club in my life. So I only knew one way. So how I swing now is how I was taught by Derek when I was, you know, at, during my first lesson. So it's a it's kind of a unique thing, but I, I feel very fortunate. And, and then, you know, Jane, that's, that's so amazing because for, for most of us, it takes us 10 years just to get bad at golf. And here you are a couple of years in and you're winning a national championship at Florida State. <laughs> One of the things that, that I find in talking to you know some of your peers is that playing other sports, and you mentioned what a great athlete you were in playing a, a variety of different sports. Did playing those other sports help golf come naturally to you so that you could go out there and, and pick it right up and the next thing you know, it's history? I, I think so. I don't, I don't know that anything I, I, I played with the exception of softball that, that provided the hand eye. Um, but it, certainly my, uh, my love of sports, my family's love of sports, um, gave me that, uh, I don't know, that, that insight and, and kind of motivation that it was, it was the first time that I, I really played a, a sport that was not a team sport. So for me, it, it was very intriguing, you know, cause I was on my own and I was able to do something on my own and didn't have to depend on my team or didn't have to, you know, worry about what a coach said or anything. It was really up to me. And so I think, yeah, I mean, to answer your question, I think in a yes, I think being able to play a multitude of sports is helpful all the way around. I mean, I have kids and I, you know, I, I encourage them to play all different sports. I would love to them for them to play golf, but if they don't, you know, if it's not their thing, it's okay. I mean, at some point I, 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 I want them to learn and, and they are, and they'll be okay at it. But I think being able to play a multitude of sports teaches you all different life lessons along the way. And so, um, you know, when I look at that and I look at what I, what I did throughout my life, I think it, it sort of enhanced a lot of the things that I was able to do throughout my life doing all those different sports and not just golf. And Gene, being there in South Carolina makes me wonder, and I'm here in Atlanta, how, how did, how did uh, Florida State get you? How did all the SEC schools miss you and you get to Florida uh, you State? All, well, 
Uh, I was um, I was really lucky that Florida State even took my call. So what happened to me was I've been playing golf for about a year and a half, and I decided, wow, I think I want to go to school and play golf. So you can imagine, I'm, you know, I'm I'm a beginner, and so I start making phone calls to schools and um, and actually visited uh, UNC Chapel Hill and and spoke to the the coach Doc Gunnell, to you know who is fabulous coach there, and she was sort of like. Oh, I'm so glad you came to visit me, honey. You know, kind of wait, you know, don't call us, we'll call you. And I love Dot, and she was, you know, very sweet. But I'm a person, I'm, I'm a kid coming along that's shooting in the mid 90s, right? And so I was fortunate that a school in North Carolina, North University of North Carolina, Charlotte, had a sort of a little bit of a ragtag um, golf team. They allowed me to come there and play during my freshman year. The problem was after the first semester, they dropped the, the golf team. We only had three players. You're supposed to have five. So they eliminated the golf program. So I find that out at the you know, end of my first semester there. So I start calling schools. I figure out that, you know, I really need to um, be in the Sun Belt to play golf. So I know that I need to be, you know, down south. And that's so why I start calling schools, uh, you know, in South Carolina, in Florida, and whatnot. And pretty much every school that I called, the reaction was, thank you so much, you know, uh, we'll get back to you, except for Florida State. So when I called Merlin Giles, the, the, the coach of Florida State, he said, well, if you want to come down and try out for the team, you can try out for the team. So I, I saw that. That was, that was the most positive reaction I had gotten. So I applied to Florida State, got in, went down and tried out for the team. Practice my butt off between that January and the, you know, August that I went down and actually lowered my score, I would say 10 or 12 shots and was shooting sort of in the low 80s, high 70s, went down and tried out for the team in Florida State and made it. Um, and then, uh, you know, I was very, we, we were a bit of a, um, a sort of, interesting team there where we had a bunch of players from Canada and all different. We weren't sort of the usual college team where it was the junior players from the U.S. Um, and then um, lo and behold, my junior year there, we won the national championship. And it was, um, uh, it was just, uh, you know, again, that fate thing that, you know, this happens in my life and I end up here and I have this amazing experience um, that was, you know, sort of, one of the the first kind of moments for me that I said, wow, that was just amazing. Like, how did that even happen? So just crazy. One of the many remarkable things about your time there, and I, and I read, I think it was your sophomore year, you and Lisa Young fired opening round 70s at the Lady Gator tournament to set the tournament record. You ended up finishing fifth that week, but it was clear, like, you know, from the moment, I mean, you're on the big stage there. I mean, you're playing against the Gators and, and all these big schools. Yeah. You weren't intimidated. You didn't appear intimidated a bit. How did, how did you I deal didn't with know. suddenly I doing didn't, that? You know what? I didn't even know. I didn't even, I, I was so, I was still new to the sport, you know, and it was, for me, it was, um, you know, I, I didn't grow up in it. I didn't have this sort of junior pressure. I, it was for me, I was in college and I was, you know, I was trying to do the best I could do. And honestly, I, you know, when I, when I, when I started at Florida State, um, I, I did not have this, this grand plan to turn pro at all. I was, 
you know, it was a way for me to, I, I ended up getting a scholarship. I earned a scholarship at Florida State. And so it was a way for me to get through college. And so until, you know, sort of, um, I would say after the, you know, we won the national championship, did I even start thinking about like, this is something that I really want to do. And maybe there's an opportunity for me um, professionally, but for me, it was just kind of an end to a mean, which is, is kind of funny, but in, you know, again, when you're playing sports and all you want to do is the best you can do. Right. And so, you know, I, I was, that's, that's what I was trying to do every week. And, and I go back a little bit as well, back to my original sort of the origin was being able to be be taught by an amazing professional, Derek Hardy taught Beth Daniel. And, and, and I was very fortunate to get in um, and, and be on his roster as well. And he was an amazing teacher for me in particular. He was um, sort of the right recipe for me and, and my, and how I learned the game and, and how I sort of in, you know, my intake of information. So I feel very fortunate that, I had that sort of fast track um, in a very, very simple, simple um, uh, uh, program that he created for me to learn the, the game of golf. And it really gave me the ability to really fast track my game. And, and you know, I, I feel very fortunate because of that. And not only did you help win the, the national championship there in 81, you won a golf tournament. You won the 81 South Florida Invitational. What do you remember about your first college victory? At the claw, at the, at the claw at University of Florida. I mean, you know, it's, I mean, I can remember a few holes. It was one of those where, again, you know, I'm, I'm in this situation where this is all new. You know, I'm not a junior golfer that has won tournaments. I've never won a golf tournament in my life till I won that event. And so, it's, I went through this period of time from the time I started playing until honestly to when I won the U S open that almost everything I was doing was like new, you know, I was, I, I was just doing my best. It was like, I'm like a hamster on a wheel and I'm, you know, I'm playing the best I can play and I'm doing the best I can play. And Oh, oh my gosh, I won. You know, I mean, honestly, that, that was until I knew better which was sort of after the U.S. Open and when reality really, like, um, like struck, I was just doing my thing. I was, I was trying to get through college. I was trying to, you know, it was cool. I was playing well. And then, you know, I went on to the mini tour and trying to do the best I can do there and make some money and whatever. But it's, I was always kind of trying to get to the next spot that I sort of happened into, you know, good situations as kind of it happens sometimes in golf, right? Sometimes when you least expect it, you're playing really well and there you are. Um, and so that ha happened to happen, you know, like you said, at, at the, um, at that, at that tournament at USF. So you win that tournament, you win a national championship, you fast forward a few years, your first victory on the LPGA tour, as you mentioned a moment ago is the U S open. I mean, that's a heck yeah. of a way to get your first win on the LPGA right. Tour. Talk, and, and you did it in a playoff, oh, by the way, and uh, and, and came yeah. back as I was kind of watching, looking through that round. You were actually down yeah. three strokes at one point on the front yeah. nine, and you come oh. all the way back to win. Talk about that. Yeah, it was crazy. You know, I went into that week. It was really interesting. I, I had a really, really, really bad week the week before that open. Went home, um, kind of videoed my swing, which was a big deal back then because I 
had to have a camera to do this. And when I did it in my front yard of my house, no lie. I had a camera and I, and I wanted to take a look at my swing. And what I realized then was, yeah, I'm not swinging it. I'm not swinging it that bad. Like, why am I playing so bad? Um, Derek had committed to coming to the open that, that week. And so he was there early in the week and um, stood in the range with me on Tuesday and said, you're swinging at it great. Like, I just remember him saying that, and um, and I was. I was hitting it. I, I couldn't hit it any better. Um, and so I started off the week with this just really good sense of, uh, um, you know, my game and, and where I was going. But it was only my second U.S. Open, and, and, and you know, if you anybody that knows what happened at, at the NCR Club in Dayton that year, we had, you know, all kinds of things happen. We had an earthquake. We had a train crash. Um, we had a, a plane crash. We had uh, all storms. We had it was a crazy, crazy week. So it wasn't a normal tournament week. Um, and maybe that was helpful because in the end, it was extremely disruptive to anyone that would have been sort of really, really focused on that week or whatnot. And I was, you know, clearly I was focused. But you know, I got in a situation during the last round where I I was able to um, tie for the lead with Sally Little and. Um, it was it was interesting because I went out on Monday, and um, you know ignorance is bliss, you know. And I um, I I'm not a big practicer or warmer upper, you know. And so I was feeling good about my swing. I went out on the drive range and hit a couple of balls and, and hit some putts. And I was at the first tee before they even had set the tees. And I was I was actually sitting on my bag on the first tee when PJ Boatwright the um, the executive director of the uh, USGA then kind of came up on the team. He looked at me like, are you great? What are you doing? You know, like, <laughs> look at this kid. Like, you know, what are you doing sitting here? And I just said, and he said, what are you, are you not warming up? I said, I'm warmed. I'm ready to go. And, I, and, you know, it was almost like, he looked at me like I was absolutely crazy, but you know, it was, it was, um, I don't know. Again, it's, uh, sort of ignorance is bliss. And I went out and, and tried to play my best. And it was, uh, I played a great round. I remember being three down at the turn. I remember saying to my caddy, my caddy saying to me, like, let's bring it on the backside. Um, and I was playing so well that, or I was hitting the ball so well, which for me is the key, right? I'm not, I'm not a great, uh, I've never been a great putter and never had a great short game. But for me, my ball striking was key and I was hitting it really, really well. Um, and I came out in the end and, and won the event. Um, and, and, you know, it, when I look at it now, um, I wish, uh, you know, it's something that it was wonderful that it was my first tournament that I won. It's like amazing. Um, but I think I maybe would have appreciated it more. If it was maybe a few years down the road. Um, and not that I don't, I mean, you know, I, I, it's my greatest achievement. And as I say that, everyone in golf, you know, for me, anything that I do in golf now is the cherry on top because I've won the U S open. And so I've, I've sort of, you know, said that my whole career. So everything else beyond that, I had a, I had a, a career that I'm very, very proud of. Um, but that was that, that thing that, you know, that, that moment that, uh, you know, most every golfer that plays, um, would give anything to be able to experience, and I was able to experience that. So I'm I'm so grateful, and um, and I look back on it, and I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it far more now 
than I, I ever did. It seems like every year that goes by, I appreciate it more. So. To that point, Jane, and you talk about that moment, you had a two-stroke lead on the last hole. Do you remember? I mean, what was what was it like? Two-stroke lead, last hole, U.S. Open. Do you, yeah. Were you in the moment? Do you, what was that? That stroll had to be amazing. I, I was then. I'll tell you what. I wasn't in the moment. I wasn't in the moment when I, or I was in the moment, but like a little bit out of my mind during the last round. So on the 16th hole of the last round, um, there was a scoreboard. And um, I knew I was kind of near the lead, but I didn't know because I had not been in the lead at all. And I looked up at the scoreboard, and I was in the lead. Or I was tied to the lead. I can't remember. All I know is my name was on top. And at the moment I was looking at the scoreboard, my caddy was busy getting the yardage and whatnot. And, and I looked back at him, and he was, you know, it was my turn to hit. And he said, you know, you have 160 to the front. You have seven more, you know, 167. He gives me the whole thing, blah, 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 a little pill, blah, blah, blah. And I look at him with an absolute blank look on my face. And I don't say anything. I don't attempt to get a club or anything. And he says to me, I gotcha. I, like, he had seen the scoreboard, and I was stunned. I, I mean, literally. Pulled up my – I was a forearm. It kind of took my forearm out of my bag. I hit my forearm. And he guided me in the rest of the way, except for the 18th tee where – for me, I had stood on the driving range, and I know that there's, you know, so many golfers out there that, you know, especially aspiring, you know, players that stand on the drive range and say, this drive is for the U.S. Open. I'm leading, and I got to hit this drive right down the middle. And I stood on the 18th tee that day, and I'll never forget that I thought I've hit this drive a million times. And I, I hit it right down the middle of the fairway, you know, and, and went ahead and parred that hole and got into the playoff. But um, I was I was way better in the playoff as far as just being present and and knowing because in the end for me it I was um, it was wow if I win that's awesome but if I don't it's still kind of awesome you know I mean so I was on I was on a bit of a high you know I mean it was my first tournament I'm in this situation and you know I don't even know what to expect so. I was, you know, I was just playing my butt off to try to figure out who was going to win in the end, you know. Um, and I know for Sally, it was Sally was sort of in the twilight of her career. And, and, and I know that it was, you know, it was something that for her would have really been sort of the, you know, the cherry on top of her career. And I knew that. So I was going to be the spoiler, you know. So kind of going in as a spoiler, you have a little different view of things than if it's something you so, so, so are you know want and you know this might be your last moment you know i was in the beginning of my career so you know silly me is thinking oh if i don't win now i'll win some other time you know i mean crazy crazy <laughs> me right now saying that um but that's you know that's sort of what, what, that's what you think of when you're you know 26 years old and you you know your life's in front of you so jane just a couple more before i let you go and and the following year you win the 87 LPGA championship and you, and you did it you know, against Lori Rinker, somebody you played against when she was at Florida. So you guys must've had yeah. a tremendous battles over the years from college, all the way through your LPGA careers. You also beat Rosie Jones and Betsy King. Talk about what you remember about the LPGA championship that following year. Yeah. The LPGA championship the following year was interesting because I, you know, it was, um, I was now, I'd won a few tournaments and I think I was, 
I was probably number one on the money list then or something. It was, I was, I was rolling at that point. And um, what was interesting about that, and this is less about the golf, but more about me and kind of a funny thing. So when we went into that week, um, it was being played at Kings Island um, in Cincinnati, Ohio, a Jack Nicholas course. And it was a great golf course, but the setup that we had that year and some previous years, you know, the rough wasn't necessarily up and it was, you know, it was, it was okay. It wasn't like, it wasn't like a super challenging major championship golf course in my eyes. Right. And so of course I'm hearing this not only from my eyes, but I'm hearing it in the locker room and Kathy Whitworth doesn't show up. And she doesn't want to play because it's not, you know, she doesn't feel like it's, it's, championship caliber it was like kind of a funny situation going on a lot so me as you know the person that now had a voice um i start talking about this early in the week and start talking about king's island maybe not being a great test and everything so you know it was that was really not that was not really the right thing to be saying that but again i'm you know i'm a kid and i'm saying what's on my mind and i'm protecting the players and I'm, i think i'm saying the right thing so I win the event and I come off um, out of the tent and um, I go to get a ride to the, uh, to the press room to go do my interviews and went out. And John Lopheimer, the commissioner of the LBJ at that point was there to kind of meet me. And I thought that was really funny. And I said, Oh, hi John. So nice to be here. You know, whatever. And he said, you know what? You don't need a ride. Will you walk with me? And so we walked, you know, a couple hundred yards to the uh, press tent. And he put his arm around me. And John, by the way, was the greatest guy and sort of a dad to all of us, you know. And um, John said to me, um, I'm going to sit in on your press conference. And um, here's what I would like you to communicate to the tournament. You know, like you have now, you know, ripped the golf course, ripped the sponsor. And so I don't even know what I was saying, but John gave me a completely new sort of dialogue to uh, sit down in the chair after I won and be a good winner. And so, and he was sitting in the back of the press room as I gave my press conference. And I will never forget that. And it was, um, it was probably one of the best lessons um, I had ever learned. Uh, You know, when you're you're going, uh, when you're inside the ropes and you're a player and you are, looking at the tour and looking at tournaments from your perspective, uh, you unknowingly um, are not necessarily appreciating what goes into putting that event on the sponsors, the money, the golf course, all, all of those things. And so I learned that lesson that day um, by John Lopheimer giving me all the right cues to say the right thing. Um, going to that press conference. And he wasn't trying to uh, tell me to say something um, that I didn't believe, but, you know, it was, it was a great learning moment for me to be able to um, communicate how I felt maybe just in a different way. Um, so that's, it's interesting because that's the one thing that I remember uh, about that event, in addition to it being a great win. And I, um, I actually sort of topped a one iron across the water, um, I think, on the last hold. <laughs> I kind of skimmed it across the water uh, to get it on the green on the par five. But, but 
um, in the end, it was about that, those last moments with me and John that I'll, I'll never, ever, ever forget. And it was something that I'll, you know, that I, I from that moment on, I've carried on through the rest of my career, whether it was being golf or, or business or anything else. Jane, one more before I let you go. And, and you were CEO of the Executive Women's Golf Association for a while, not all that long ago. The EWGA became a part of the LPGA. Update us on what you're doing now. Yeah, thanks, Chris. I am. Um, I'm actually. Um, I, it, I was really uh, fortunate to be able to be in that position to bring the EWGA to the LPGA, and, and felt like that was a great move for the 13,000 women across the U.S. to be able to um, be associated with the LPGA, the greatest women's sports association, especially associated with golf in the world. Um, and um, as I kind of moved through that and and and, and moved through that transition, um, I was asked to. Um, uh, take over the CEO role of the Legends Tour, which are the LPGA, the former LPGA or uh, former LPGA players um, that are, you know, from my era, um, all of my friends and peers that I played with um, to kind of take a really close look at, you know, can we create a, a Legends Tour or Legends experiences out there where we can, um, you know, go out in those communities that, uh, you know, that, that Rochester, Youngstown, Corning, um, you know, Seattle, uh, you know, Phoenix, all those communities that we had such a great following um, for players that some of the greatest names um, in women's golf, you know, Nancy Lopez, Meg Mallon, Beth Daniel, Amy Alcott, I can go down the list, um, you know, all the 14 Hall of Famers that are members of our tour. And so right now I, I, I'm about three months into to try to look to 2020 to um, to sort of you know try to get the word out there and say we're, you know we're out here um, we we might not play as well as we used to but we play some pretty darn good golf um, and um, and and kind of looking to some of those communities um, and and areas that um, would really appreciate us coming back around and 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 creating sort of a reunion. Of sorts, and so um, I appreciate you giving me an opportunity to talk about that. It's, I'm passionate about that. I'm passionate because it's um, it's my era. Those are my friends and and my peers and and people that I I believe really um, really made the tour what it is today, along with the founders and along with the era that came before us. And so um, I'm you know it's um, it's exciting to be um, to be representing them. Um, in this capacity, and um, you know, and I look forward to the future and and hoping um, to visit some of you know the people that are listening, you know, listening to your podcast and the great work that you do, and and um, getting the word out there that um, that we're out there and and the LPJ legends um, are out there, and we're interested in coming back and and being a part of your communities again, um, maybe in a different capacity, but. Um, we're all still around and, and certainly willing to play some golf with everyone. Well, Jane, let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're out there doing and, and follow the, the LPGA Legends Tour and keep track of everything that's going on, whether it's online or it's on social media? Yeah, you know, I'm on, I'm on Twitter at, um, at Gettys LPGA, G-E-D-D-E-S, LPGA. Uh, TheLegendsTour.com um, has a fairly up-to-date um, schedule and um, has news about um, who we are and where we're going. Um, hopefully that will be enhanced as we kind of move forward here and look to 2020. Um, but, you know, I'm, I think if, um, you know, again, 
social media, the website, the LPJ, LPJ.com to be able to follow the tour. I think you'll get a glimpse of us. I, 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 you know, I want to mention too how much we appreciate uh, French Lick and their um, commitment to hosting the Senior LPGA Championship that's coming up in a few weeks at French Lick. It's, it's really our premier event um, along with the U.S. Senior Women's Open that came on the schedule a couple, uh, you know, two years ago. And so we appreciate the support of, of French Lick and all the folks there and um, really look forward to going back there. Um, this year and in the years to come and, and, and hopefully kind of grow our, you know, grow our tour base and grow our tournament base. And so, um, like I said, the people that have seen us in the past can see us again. Well, Jane, it's been a huge thrill having you as part of the show. So many other things I'd love to get your thoughts on. I hope you'll come back and join me again sometime. You're fantastic. Chris, I would I would love to really, and as as I kind of progress in what we're doing, I would I would love to be able to come back and talk about you know the Legends Tour and, and the LPJ and how we're kind of um, forging a new path. And so thank you so much for having me. I would um, you know happy to to come back and talk anytime. We have plenty to talk about. I, indeed, we do. Thank you so much, Jane. All the best to you and your family. Hopefully, we catch up again real soon. Awesome. Same to you, Chris. Thank you. See you, Jane. That's the great Jane Gettys, folks. And I tell you, was that fun? Holy smokes, that was fun. Talking to her and listening to all the great things that, that she has done. And uh, hopefully we get an opportunity to get her back again real soon. The, the Legends Tour, as you guys know, is uh, is very special to me. Our good friend Cindy Miller, a huge part of that uh, that tour as well. So looking forward to catching up with Jane. She's absolutely amazing. All right, before I get to my next guest, Andy Bell, we'll do that right on the other side of these words about our friends at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. And now back with me here on the French Lake Resort guest line is the CEO of the Bobby Jones Apparel Company, Andy Bell. Let me remind you quickly about Andy's background. He earned his B.A. degree at the University of North Texas. In the early 1990s, Andy was the sales director for Ralph Lauren. In the mid-2000s, he started his own high-end clothing company called House of Carrigan. In the late 2000s, Andy became the president of Summit Golf Brands in Fairway and Green. In 2013, he took over as the president and CEO of Jones Global Sports, the Bobby Jones Company, and now Sun Ice as well, which is a fantastic outerwear brand. We'll talk about that here in a minute. He's been a great friend over the years. He's been extremely patient tonight, and I can't thank him enough for coming back and being a part of the show. Hey, Andy, how are you tonight? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. And actually, my patience was well rewarded. I enjoyed listening to uh, Jane and, and hearing what's going on there. That was great. I appreciate that very much, Andy. So it's been a minute, Andy, since we got to have you as part of the show. Catch us up. What's been going on with you and the brand so far this year? Uh, you know what? It's it's really kind of business as usual, which is great, actually. We, we've been through a lot over the years. You know, just the, the business and, and things going on at retail continue to evolve rapidly as people shop differently than they have. And so it's, it's exciting times, but at the same time, I feel like we are uh, – on the right path and, and kind of head down and, and just plugging ahead. And I'll tell you what, Andy, I've, I've been looking through the new fall collection and it all looks absolutely fantastic. I love the, the pants and the sweaters you guys have coming out this fall. Talk about the new fall collection. Yeah, we're, 
we're always super excited when you get to fall. Although if you live in Atlanta right now, it might not feel like it, like us <laughs> at, at uh, yeah. 80 degrees at nine o'clock at night. But you know, we we love the fall season because of the ability to uh, introduce layers. You know, whether they be active and, and performance oriented, or whether they be kind of elegant and menswear. Uh, you know that that just fall colors and layerings and suede and leathers and merinos and cashmeres and it's uh, it's a it's a wonderful time. If you if you've been in in the apparel business your whole life, um, you really truly appreciate fall because there's so many opportunities to um, you know create product and and provide you know wardrobe staples for people that you can't necessarily do in spring. And Andy, as we look ahead to winter, and you're right, here in Atlanta, it seems like it's still 100 years before it's going to get to be winter. I'm hoping it, it comes quicker than that. But the Sun Ice brand, um, I, I tell you what, the outerwear that you guys have in the Sun Ice brand and, and the ability from the, from the thermals to keep you warm when it does get cold outside and for our friends and the other parts of the country that are already starting to get a little bit of the fall weather and, and winter, I'm sure, seems much closer to them. Talk about the Sun Ice brand and the things you have uh, for winter. Yeah, it's a truly a great compliment to the to the Jones brand. You know, obviously Jones comes from a, a very menswear, very elegant, very sophisticated place. Um, and Sunrise really comes from a, a performance mindset. It, it was born in 1976 and, and really kind of cut its teeth on the mountain and in uh, on the Olympics teams up in Canada. And it, you know, evolved to providing some of the best golf outerwear there is, you know, to the point that, you know, we had an incredible presence on tour really because people wanted to wear it, not because we were paying them to wear it. Uh, and also the, the President's Cup teams, you know, continue to choose us. You know, we've been uh, a part of some of the, the great, um, you know, championship victories over the years in those bags. So I think the guys, when it, with the people that it matters most to, I mean, if you think about somebody, you know, coming down the 18th hole, trying to win a championship, the last thing they want to think about is, is their rain jacket going to hold up or are they going to be okay? Um, and I think that's the, the greatest thing for us is the people at the highest level of competition trust that product and, and don't have to spend any time thinking about it. And so it, it works really well. It's, it's a, like I said, it's a great compliment. You'll see in our latest Jones catalog, actually, we, we present both products together. Um, you know, Sun Ice goes places that we wouldn't take Jones and, and Jones is in places that we wouldn't take Sun Ice. They're just, they're two different points of view. So it, it is a, a very diverse brand. Um, you know, it, it's been to the top of Mount Everest. Um, it, it's, it's done some amazing things in that product. And so it, it's, uh, whether it be wind, whether it be rain, whether it be thermal and you're looking for, you know, kind of a heat regulation, you know, all those things exist somewhere in that brand. And so it's a lot of fun to have that high level of performance exist in, in the product you produce. And Andy, as you talk about it being the choice of the President's Cups team, and, and one, one of the things that, that, I, um, that I'm intrigued about from the Sun Ice brand is you talk about you don't want to have to think about things when you're out on the golf course. Well, for those of us who still like to play when it gets cold outside, those of us that are familiar with frost delays in the morning and, and kind of waiting that piece out. The thing you don't want is to feel like you're restricted in your golf swing because you still want to play when it's cold. Talk about the Sun Ice brand and, and the ability to, you know, kind of swing freely without having to worry about being all confined in, in, a, uh, in a jacket. Yeah, it's, it's really come a long way. If you go back, 
you know, before you really had the, the technology and fabric that you have today and your ability to have stretching of fabric that is also still waterproof, you know, the garments were constructed in a way that the reason you had freedom of movement is because you could practically swing inside them, right? They had so much fabric and they were so big and, and so, but that was the only way you could really generate that freedom was to create these extra pleats and all this stuff. Well, technology has come so far that we can make a jacket that is is more form-fitting, um, looks great, feels great, but because of the, the ability to put stretch in certain places and in the right places, and that's the beauty of having um, you know people on our team that are truly golfers that understand that, you know, you can make these garments fit um, the way they should fit, and that comfort um, and the ability to move with you throughout a swing, because the golf swing is – you know, can be challenging just if you think about the motion you create and what your your clothes need to do and where they need to go. Um, it, it's not an easy thing to do. So the, we're very very thankful for uh, the technology that exists today that allow us to you know create those products that work that way. And Andy, the the third brand that you guys have is Rule 18, and and we've talked a little bit about that in the past, being a a younger brand, a more hip brand. But I I got to tell you. At 54 years old, I'm digging the looks of the of the shirts and the sweaters you've come out with in within Rule 18, and uh, uh, I don't, you know, I don't, I, I probably need to do a few more sit-ups to make myself feel a little bit better. But when I look at that brand, I tell you, I I like the, you know, you got some great-looking sweaters there and some great-looking dress shirts and casual shirts within that brand. Inform our our listeners that may not be as familiar with with that one as they are with Bobby Jones and Sun Ice about what rule 18 is all about sure rule 18 obviously is a it's a subset of the jones brand really and and it was we felt like we had something to say in that vein and i don't know that we'll say that it's it's younger necessarily from a number and an age demographic as much as it is um it's it's an attitude you know it's it's for people that want to that wear their clothes a little slimmer it it was just the world has evolved that way you know and we talked about a little bit with sun ice and the way things fit and so we didn't want to alienate our core customers. We have a Jones customer who appreciates the classic fit and the way that it's designed and, you know, how it looks. And we didn't want to disrupt that, but we felt like we had something to say, you know, from a really modern, contemporary, youthful in spirit uh, point of view. And so that's really where Rule 18 comes in. Uh, the name, if you know uh, the, the history of, of Jones and, and that story, you know, he lost the 1925 U.S. Open in a playoff. Um, he ultimately ended up in that playoff because he called a penalty on himself. Um, that penalty at the time in the rule book, it's since changed, but was um, Rule 18, 18-2, I want to say. Um, and so that was really the, the, the spirit behind this. Um, and it, it's great because it gives us a chance to talk about that legacy and that history and, and the ideas of character and integrity and honor and respect. You know, great great attributes that maybe we don't and what I love is they're not old ideas right they, they're probably ideas we don't talk enough about hear enough about and certainly the world could use a lot more of them today um, but the, the brand was kind of built on those con- concepts and, and our ability to um, introduce the idea of of those ideas of Bobby Jones to a younger demographic you know in a perfect world you know this is the ability for father and son to to both appreciate Jones you know, from their own point of view. And, and, you know, obviously we do it from a product standpoint. And so, I, you know, we, and we've seen it, you know, we've seen, you know, younger men who their father has a sense of style that isn't quite theirs. Um, 
and so it, you know rule 18 gives us that freedom to, to come at it from that contemporary you know kind of a european inspiration take a lot of influence from jones time uh in europe and it, it's been a lot of fun to develop that and, and i think we've found um a, a new customer for the jones brand and, and inviting them in from a, a really a different place from where classic jones comes from Andy, looking ahead to a couple of big events in the retail side of the of the world, um, Black Friday is not all that far away for for those of us that are starting to plan now for the holidays. You know, starting to do a little bit of shopping and then uh, start to you know put our list together and things that we might be looking for. Um, fast forward us to Black Friday and some of the things that you guys are going to be doing for the holidays. <laughs> Black Black Friday, our, our favorite. Yeah, no, it, it's. I mean, obviously, if you've if you've been around us, you know, you know, like the the world, we'll have our our promotions, we'll have our our gift guides, and there, there's a lot of things out in front of us. I, I think at the end of it, when you go look, we we really have great product. Um, and whether you want to, you know, wait until Black Friday, whether you see something now, um, I think if you check out what we're doing. Uh, you know, we feel like between Jones and Sun Ice and Rule 18 and the diversity of that product uh, and its ability to go really anywhere, um, you know, we, I think we truly have something for almost everyone. It, it's certainly not everyone. I would never go that far because, you know, personal style is, is exactly that. It, it is personal and it's unique. Uh, but I really love the, the, the diversity of product that we offer across all the brands. So, um, yeah, nothing specific yet. We're still the, – the, the interesting thing about retail today and, and the influence of, of uh, the Internet and digital uh, is that you're, there really are no six-month marketing plans. Um, you know, you have an idea of where you're headed and some of the things in front of you, but we tend to, you know, pay attention to what the consumer is telling us, you know, from the last two weeks and, and look ahead as to – to what's going on, listen to what they're saying about, you know, the things they've bought from us and the feedback. And that, that's what we love about working directly with the consumer is uh, that, that feedback you get is incredibly valuable uh, to make sure that you're, you're, you're creating the products that, that they want you to create and that they're looking to buy. So to that end, Andy, is, is we look even further ahead than, uh, than the holiday season, the PGA uh, merchandise show in uh, late January are there going to be some uh, some innovations, some things that um, you might give us a, a peek under the tent that we might see coming out uh, in Orlando? Yeah, actually, we've we, you know on the Jones side, we've put some a real emphasis on uh, a new product that we're calling Jones Performance Cotton. It's uh, a, a kind of an extreme function cotton. It's a, a cotton, cheap value cotton. So for those cotton purists, and we have a lot of them, um, it feels in 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 that kind of luxurious cotton feel, uh, hand feel, um, and against your skin, it's great. And then, but it's combined with um, modal, which is a, a, a version of polyester, if you will, and spandex. So it's extremely soft, but extremely durable. I think it lives up to that easy care aspect of, of life that we're all chasing, you know, the ability to toss it in the washer and dryer and, and not have to worry about putting a warm iron to it necessarily. Um, so we're, we're putting a lot of emphasis in that. We've, we've got a lot of feedback from our customers that they were looking for. They love the feel of cotton, and they love that kind of natural fiber, um, but they were looking for a little bit easier care. And so we, we think we've found a great product. So there's a little bit of, of it in our fall catalog right now, but we'll make a bigger statement with it uh, as we head out into spring 20. 
And Andy, one more before I let you go. And and for our listeners that aren't as familiar um, as they probably should be about the the Bobby Jones Golf Complex here in Atlanta and your world headquarters now being right there, talk about the Jones Complex, if you will, that uh, that we've got here. Yeah, I will tell you, you know, Marty Elton, who set up that that foundation and, and that project, has done an amazing job. I, I think the family's very proud uh, of that golf course. I, I think it's it's become a real uh, source of pride, and and I think the industry is looking at it as, you know, a potential guiding light for how you take um, kind of landlocked, um, I, I don't want it, but city urban golf courses that, you know, are having a hard time evolving and, and the things that you can do. Um, and there's a lot of energy out there that the, the, the new clubhouse is under construction. It'll ultimately be the golf house uh, for Georgia with the state golf association being there, the PGA section being there, the golf hall of fame, Georgia golf hall of fame there. Um, so it, it's really going to be a unique environment and they've done really a, a, a wonderful job. Like I said, it, it's, it's pretty remarkable. It's getting some great um, exposure. And I, I think they took, what was a very, you know, uh, challenging and not challenging in the good way uh, layout, uh, you know, 18 holes on a little tiny property that was quite dangerous in the terms of, you know, small holes, side by side, golf balls everywhere, um, and have made this reversible um, nine holes, beautiful driving range, uh, you know, short course, a new putting course will be coming into the clubhouse. Uh, it, it's, an, it's an environment that I think the city of Atlanta uh, the Jones family and, and certainly Marty Alderson and, and the group and all of the, the, the support from this area that, that the donors that have been a part of that rebuild, everybody should be very, very proud of, of what was done there. Andy, let our listeners know how they can stay up to date with all the great things that you and the brand are doing and follow you, whether it's online or it's on social media. Yeah, obviously the, the best place for us is, is bobbyjones.com. Um, you'll see actually all of our, our brands are linked together. You have, you can get to Sun Ice and Rule 18 and Bobby Jones all kind of in the same family and put everything in the same cart and social media, you know, through Facebook, uh, Instagram, you'll, you'll find us there as well. But certainly the website is a great home for everything going on in our world. Well, Andy, I can't thank you enough for coming back and uh, being a part of the show again tonight. We love working with you guys and partnering with the Bobby Jones brand. You know, we're big fans of the style and the fabrics that you guys have. Everything about what you guys put out is top of the line, and we can't thank you enough for partnering with us and, and coming back and being a part of the show again tonight. Yeah, Chris, we, we appreciate it as well. Um, you know, obviously anything we can do, let us know, and we appreciate uh, the opportunity to be here. Andy, take care, my friend. All the best to you and your family. We look forward to catching up with you again real soon. Okay. Thank you, sir. See you, Andy. That's Andy Bell. BobbyJones.com is the site. And I'm telling you, folks, you go check out their stuff. And from each one of those three brands, and the Sun Ice one, uh, for, for our friends that uh, are already starting to feel the effects of fall and, and know that winter is right around the corner, I can't, I can't recommend enough to go check out the Sun Ice brand. And then the Rule 18 and the Bobby Jones brand, also great stuff. Their fall collections look absolutely spectacular. The pants look great. The the sweaters are even, you know, are off the charts good. So go check it out. Again, it's online, bobbyjones.com. All right, folks, time for me to put a bow on another episode of Next on the T. My sincere thanks again to Keith Hirschland, Jane Geddes, and Andy Bell for joining me tonight. Please check us out. Uh, our website is nextonthetea.net. On there, you're going to be able to see what our guest schedule looks like. So you'll be able to see 
who we've got coming up. Um, and a huge thanks to our friends over at Podbean, podbean.com. They're featuring us uh, right there front and center on the on the Podbean app. You can find us in the golf section. They're uh, they're supporting us over on the football side. Our show Thursday Night Tailgate. We're we're back on the air doing the football show. So check us out ThursdayNightTailgate.com every week, every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time live. You'll be able to hear uh, four NFL legends sharing their stories and their insights. Also available as a podcast over on Podbean. Thank those guys a lot. If uh, you like consuming your podcast other places, we're on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audioboom, Player.fm, Launchpad, DM. So we're all over the net, folks. So please check us out on whatever your favorite podcasting site is. And, folks, I can't thank you enough for uh, continuing to make us a part of your golfing content. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends. Every three minutes, a person in the U.S. is diagnosed with a blood cancer like leukemia, lymphoma, or myeloma, blood cancers that often require patients to endure difficult treatments that leave them feeling weak, cold, and isolated. Subaru of Gwinnett is here to help. Since 2016, Subaru has partnered with the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, a cause the fan has been proud to support for over 24 years. And in the month of June, through our Subaru Loves to Care initiative, we're continuing our partnership with LLS to give even more to patients and their families. Subaru, more than a car company. Visit SubaruofGwinnett.com to learn more. Have you thought about securing your hard-earned assets? Do you have concerns about the future? Protecting assets is crucial, and that's where Nelson Elder Care Law excels. As a family-owned and family-focused firm, we provide absolute assurance and peace of mind through our trademarked Absolute Protection Trust, tailored services in estate planning, probate administration, Medicaid crisis solutions, guardianship and conservatorship. Our goal is to exceed your expectations and empower informed decisions. Visit NelsonElderCareLaw.com for asset protection and peace of mind. Right now, American heroes are in some of the most dangerous places on Earth, risking their lives to protect our freedom. But there are a forgotten group of heroes here at home. They face fear, loneliness, and despair, the ever-present threat of losing a loved one. These are the brave sons and daughters of the U.S. military, and they are heroes too. American Bible Society brings the hope and comfort of God's Word to the kids that need it most. Honor a hero and donate today at AmericanBible.org slash hero.